Welcome to Tax and Super Australia's podcast, Tax Wrap, where we share developments, news and insights for all tax practitioners and SMSF professionals. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share. We'd love to hear back from you, so send questions and comments, even suggestions for guest speakers, to podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello listeners, welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast. Uh, we're back, I'm Steve Burnham with David Ebden. Hello David. Hello Steve. Uh, now David, a couple of weeks ago, on March 1 actually, uh, I mentioned in episode 161 that uh, we are going to have less podcasts, less Tax Wrap Podcasts, but we're going to put more into each one. Correct. Right. So, so you're um, going to get more in the long run? More in the long run, that's exactly. right. So uh, we... Um, have been having perhaps 10, 15, maybe 20-minute podcasts, but we're aiming to go much longer than that, 45 minutes, maybe up to an hour. Yeah, and then the good thing, if we do get these uh, episodes up to an hour, uh, means it will be one, you know, one whole CPD point oh, yeah, for the listener. Yep. So, um, yep. That's the plan. Yes. So we're back. Now, today's uh, podcast 162. Uh, it is March 15, and um, we uh, had promised, didn't we, David and the taxpayer... We did. That we would discuss the uh, dividend access shares in relation to the small business CGT concessions. So I think you've got a bit more on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, just a little bit more to add. So when a company or its owners are seeking to um, gain access to the small business CGT concessions, yep. uh, you need to be able to determine with certainty whether a related individual is a significant individual oh, yeah, yeah. in in the company, yep. or whether the individual is a CGT concession stakeholder. Right. This is due to the fact that these concepts are um, gateway tests uh, for the following concessions. Yep. Uh, I've got them written down. Um, when selling a share in a company, when accessing the small business 15-year exemption, yep. when accessing the small business retirement exemption, and access to the small business rollover. Right, right. Yep. Okay, so... Um, in regards to this, the commissioner has always held the view that in certain particular situations where there are different classes of shares on issue from a company, the discretion usually um, inherent in such a structure allows directors to have the capacity to direct dividends with sufficient flexibility oh, yeah. so that no single class of shares or their shareholders yep. could truthfully say that they've um, got an indefensible, equitable interest in 20% or more of the dividends in the relevant company. Right. Is this to allow yeah, access yeah. to the concession? W- w- yeah, without the interest, no shareholder could be either a significant individual or yep. a um, CGT concession holder. Right. Uh, CGT concession stakeholder, right. I should say. However, that the, the, the waters have been muddied uh, somewhat slightly oh. uh, recently. Um, there was a case uh, about 18 months ago uh, of uh, Davuba, I hope I've said that correctly, Davuba Proprietary Limited against the Commissioner, which shows that this view is not necessarily what the actual test is in the law. Can, can you spell that name just so if listeners want to look it up, they can Yeah, know. it's uh, Davuba, D E V U B A. Okay. Okay, so in the case of Davuba, uh, the taxpayer company realised a capital gain on the sale of shares in a company. Uh, it was called Primacy. If oh, in, in, in another company they yep, had shares. Yep, okay. Correct. Yep, yep. Um, so when uh, the taxpayer came to 
do the return, it disclosed the capital gain and claimed that the small business active asset reduction, the small business retirement exemption, mm-hmm. and the small business rollover all applied, huh. which uh, reduced the capital gain to nil. Right. Oh, nice. So at the time, uh, there was one ordinary share in the company was held by by an individual yep. uh, and the trustee of his family trust. And there was one uh, dividend access share that was held by his wife. Right. So the wife, as the holder of the dividend access share, uh, was entitled only to such dividends as the directors of the taxpayer might determine to pay. Yeah, okay. Okay. But at the time of the CGT event, no such determination had been made. Right. So the commissioner took the view that the mere existence of that one dividend access share at that time brought about the failure of a key condition for the availability of the CGT small business concessions. Okay, really? So obviously uh, the company appealed. Yep. And the forecourt said that the appeal turned upon whether the taxpayer was able to pay a dividend immediately before the 19th of May 2010, which is when the, uh, the case was in question, yeah, yep. okay. to the holder of the dividend access share. So the, and I quote here, the commissioner contended that the percentage of any dividend that the VUBA may pay uh, included dividends payable by the taxpayer to the wife. Yep. Uh, the taxpayer, in contrast, contended that no dividend was payable under the dividend access share. Yep. Uh, immediately before the taxpayer's sale of its shares in primacy. So uh, the court held that the taxpayer's ability to pay any dividend to the dividend access shareholder was made dependent upon the prior determination by the directors by virtue of a resolution that was passed in 2008 when the company was uh, incorporated. Right, yep. Uh, The taxpayer's ability to declare a dividend was therefore correspondingly restricted. Right, right. Is this a very recent case? Uh, 2015. Okay, so not that long ago. So it's still uh, holding sway on the the law as it stands today, I'm assuming. Yep, yep, correct. Um, the just to clarify, I know I'm, I'm I'm quite used to now to being the patsy in these conversations, <laughs> but can you just go over for me and for, perhaps for some listeners out there what a dividend access share is? I'm kind of assuming that this gives dividends, but not capital increase. I'm, I'm, how how would you define a dividend yeah, yeah, access correct. share? Yeah, um, correct. Quite simply, a dividend access share is a share that would typically confer no rights to the holder, right. other than a right to receive. Dividends from the company. Okay, all right. Um, you would commonly see these uh, these shares issued to facilitate the streaming of dividends, without creating for the recipients of those dividends any other entitlements. Okay, yeah. So it's income only. There's nothing, no yeah. capital gains to, to worry yeah. about. So uh, the, the the share would generally be issued uh, on three terms. Uh, the first term would be that there was a nominal issue price, i.e., no premium. Yep. Secondly, it would be redeemable at issue price. And the directors of the issuer company have the discretion to declare and pay distributions on the dividend access share to the partial or full exclusion of any or all other classes of shares. Oh, really? On issues. So you can have those shares and they'll get a distribution, but the other people won't. That's right. The other investors. That's right. Okay, well, 
Right. You've added something to uh, keep in the toolkit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it can get very, very complex as the uh, two articles in the February and March issue of the taxpayer. Yeah, that's right. This, show. this was divided up between, the, as you just mentioned, the February and March issues of the taxpayer. And I think we did promise in that issue that uh, episode 162 would deal with these, and so that's what we're doing now, of course. Yep. Here we are. All right. Um, I've said it before, but I learned something with every podcast. <laughs> um, Hopefully that, you'll learn more than uh, one thing, seeing well, <laughs> we've got extended podcasts. That's now. right. We have more to come, so stay tuned. Uh, thanks again, David. No, thank you, Steve. Right, well, we're back to briefly talk about uh, tax professional development. Now, tax and Super Australia provides a comprehensive range of options to satisfy CPD requirements with high-quality learning, tax education and development events. Members can take advantage of exclusive discounted rates for uh, tax webinars, seminars, tax discussion groups and, and a lot more. So to fill us in on what's coming up in the near future, uh, I thought we'd talk to our event and partnership coordinator, Julia Dyer. Okay, Julia, so what have we got coming up? Thanks, Steve. Hi, everybody. Um, look, we've got a really exciting event planned coming up over the next couple of months. Um, on the Thursday, the 22nd of March, we have the superannuation quarterly update presented by Gabby Rusu. That'll be going for an hour from 11 till 12, so make sure you make a booking for that. Okay. Uh, on the 27th of March, we have a webinar presented by Alan Swan for an hour and a half on asset protection. So, David, maybe you'd like to talk to everyone about the topic? The webinar focuses on the how to put in place firewalls for appropriate Australian lifestyle, investment or business assets so that they are out of reach of claimants for one reason or the other. Uh, the existence of these rules often means that you need to plan things need to be protected um, and also you want to avoid the unnecessary tax consequences right, of course. associated yeah. with these. Um, so the number one method that most practitioners use for uh, asset protection is the use of trusts. Right, yep. Uh, so the, the webinar presented by Alan uh, will cover the primary areas of risk such as the family law claims with divorces, uh, creditor claims in case you can't pay the bills, right. uh, and challenges to estates in the deceased field. Mm, I've heard Alan talk about all this before. He's great. He's really knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah, mm. correct. Um, Alan really does make the topic engaging. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's a pleasure to listen to and very interesting. Okay, and what else we got on there, Julie? Okay, so also we're moving on to April now, um, and we have our CPD Pro monthly tax update with Ken Mansell. So this is a part of the CPD Pro package. So if you want to get your CPD points up uh, really in a quick way, by all means book into the CPD Pro package. Yep. Um, so that's on the 10th of April from 11 till 12 p.m. And just to um, elaborate on what the monthly tax update is, as, as the name suggests, it provides coverage of everything that's happened in the past month in the world of tax, ATO developments, cases, rulings, tax determinations, everything that you need to know that's happened in yeah. the previous months. And that, that's why Ken Mansell's such a good uh, presenter for that, because he's a tax policy expert really I've, I've spoken to him on the phone he just uh, he knows his stuff he, mm. keep, he, he keep talking does. Yeah, he certainly yeah. does so then we move on to another webinar and this one is also presented by ken mansell on tuesday the 17th of april this one is on small business cgt and super new opportunities dave do you want to expand on that this webinar uh 
looks at the small business CGT concessions that allow small businesses and their owners to make uh, extra contributions to their super fund, uh, predominantly through the retirement exemption, uh, and, and Ken will guide you through the the new changes. Okay, um, and then we have a final webinar for April at the end of April. So we're back to Alan Swan on Tuesday, the twenty fourth of April, from eleven to half past twelve. Now this this webinar covers estate planning and blended families. With with many families today being reconstituted due to divorces and the such like. That's the realities. Yep. 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 Um, there can be a lot of disputes when one of the partners partners die and uh, the correct way of structuring your estate to make sure that the people that you intend to benefit yeah, from it yeah, that, that's uh, the phrase I'm yeah. looking for um, so Alan will guide uh, you through amongst other things um, how to retain the housing benefits for surviving spouses um, associated income benefits for surviving spouses and how to make sure that the benefits are passed through to children and grandchildren. Right, okay. So that's the, that takes us through the end of April? Does that it? takes us yep. through to the end of April, okay. Steve. And then we've also got the last exciting thing that we have on our event schedule at the moment yep. is on Wednesday the 21st of March and Thursday the 22nd of March, okay. myself, David Ebden, and who's the tax specialist, and Veronique Kopp, who's the head of marketing and communications, yep. will actually be up in Sydney at the Accounting Business Expo. Oh, that's right. That's next week. Yeah, That's okay. right. That's yep. next week. So we're very excited. We have a stand in there. So if you're coming up, if you're in Sydney, please drop by the expo. We're in stand C05, which is by the front door. So please drop by and see us and come yep. and say hi. Great. Yep, that'd be good. So if, you're in, if you're in Sydney, was it next uh, 21st next to 22nd? Next Wednesday and Thursday. Okay. Drop by, say hi to Julia Dyer and David Ebden and Veronique Kopf. They'll all be at the stand and uh, we always like to meet our members and Potential members. That's uh, right. So come and have a chat with us and see how we can help you. Okay. And, uh, sorry. Yeah. Just, on, just on that, the tickets are free for the expo. That's if, right. If you book in advance. Entry I believe there's yep. a charge if you turn up on the day. Yep. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, if you are interested, <coughs> do get onto the Accounting Business Expo website and uh, pre-register. Okay. That'd be, that's great. Okay. Right. Thanks very much, Julia, for the updates. Great. No problem at all. We'll thanks. look forward to seeing you at our events. All right. Fantastic. And thanks for filling in the uh, uh, other details, David. Been A pleasure as always. Uh, stay with us, listeners. We'll be back with another segment very soon. Welcome back to the continued podcast, uh, Tax Wrap podcast number 162. Um, we're going to continue with, um, well, I don't know what to call the segment yet, but we could call it uh, Helpline Corner, perhaps. Uh, as you might know, members can ring in uh, a problem, a curly conundrum that they can't work out themselves and ask our tax experts to um, give, them, give them an answer. We uh, provided an emailed response and uh, hopefully sort out the, the problem for them. Uh, usually it's a tax technical issue that can't be... Googled can't be found on the ATO website, so it's a more of a, a, a curly problem, as I said. And um, it's interesting sometimes the, what comes out of the woodwork with the, what clients bring to the practitioner table uh, in this regard. So um, we're going to continue with one of our tax technical experts, Majid Sayed. Okay, so Majid, what have you had this past week or two? Well, there have been lots of interesting topics, but today, you know, I would like to discuss a scenario involving uh, the main residence exemption okay the cgt exemption yep yeah and it might be you know relevant to you know few people considering um 
you know the number of uh, foreign students that we have oh okay uh, here in melbourne is it got to do with non residents yeah it has got to do with non residents so yeah. there's this lady who uh you know has been uh maintaining a home in melbourne for the past 15 years and the thing is that initially she studied over here she bought oh yeah a residential property right and uh, then you know her kids were studying here and she you know spent some time in melbourne yep. and she also maintains another home in singapore okay okay but she yeah. she owned the house in melbourne more or less yeah she okay. owned it and she lived in it for some time right so her question was you know whether she would be entitled to the main residence exemption if you know she disposed the property before the 30th of june 2019 okay or you know the second scenario was what would happen if the property was sold after the 30th of june 2019 what right. why that date as you would know there has been a bill that has been introduced oh, yep yep uh, by the australian government that's right on uh, the 8th of february 2018 it has not been legislated but it says that non residents would not be entitled to the main residence exemption right and that's when that kicks in is it that's yeah, what it's intended yeah and uh, this exemption is supposed to apply yep uh, you know from the date of announcement which was uh, you know the 9th of may 2017 oh okay yep but uh, as we discuss later there are transitional uh, you know provisions there yep to you know sort of give people to ease it in let people make their arrangements yeah, yeah you know to it sort of facilitates those people that have purchased properties before uh, you know this uh, announcement was yep. made yep of course so it uh, you know sort sort of uh, provides them with the opportunity to sell their property gives them a bit of time to make a without yeah. you know <laughs> incurring paying, paying the capital gain tax yeah, on yeah, that of course so the first uh, step you know uh, to answering this question was telling uh, that lady that she needs to first see if if the dwelling qualifies as her main residence oh yeah of course so that's the first thing that she needs to look at yep. and in this regard there was a td uh that was issued in uh, previous years td51 that uh, you know lists down a number of factors this has been withdrawn but you know the guidance um you know in that td still remains very relevant okay so some of the relevant factors that you know the ato states and you know no one uh f- factor uh, i would say is determinative yep, yep. you have to look at a combination of things so the the length of time the taxpayer has lived in the dwelling the place of residence of the taxpayer's family yep whether the taxpayer has moved his or her personal belongings into the dwelling oh yeah the address to which the taxpayer has his mail delivered the taxpayer address on the elect- the electoral roll yeah yep yep the connection of services uh, such such as telephone gas and electricity okay of course and uh last the taxpayer's intention in occupying the dwelling so this i feel you know is again a very important factor the intention of the taxpayer of course yeah that's right intention comes in a lot doesn't it into these yeah, tax it, determinations yeah it, it, it does it's a bit subjective but yeah, yeah. nevertheless uh, you know it's a, a very important uh, factor yeah of course so once you based on these factors 
uh, establish that the property is the main residence, yep. then you can talk about the main residence exemption. Okay. And how, how was it established <coughs> in this case for this uh, So, lady? as you know, we do not provide tax advice. No, we no, only no. provide guidance. Yeah, yeah, information. And uh, we can, you know, lay down the factors that need to be considered, but we cannot say whether this property is going to be... No your main residence because that constitutes tax advice advice yes of course yeah right yep so having established that you know the property is main residence the next step would be to you know see if the transitional relief the transitional provisions would apply right so the transitional provisions would apply in cases where property is purchased before uh, the date of announcement of this amendment which is uh, May 9, 2017. Right, yep. And it's sold before the 30th of June, 2019. Okay, so did she definitely purchased it before that so date? in this case, it was definitely purchased yep. before that date. Right. And uh, if she did decide to sell it before the 30th of June, 2019, yep. she may as well claim the main residence exemption. Uh, to claim the main residence exemption again, she might, you know, use uh, the absences rule. Oh, okay. So uh, th there, there, there is this rule which says that, you know, if there is a property that is your main residence, but you have not occupied it lately. Yeah, yep. You may treat, continue to treat uh, it as your main residence indefinitely, provided, you know, it's it has not been used for income producing purposes uh, for okay. more than six years. Six years, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. Okay. So, she was going back and forth to Singapore, yeah, you're saying. Yeah. So okay. in this case, she had not been using it to produce, uh, you know, rental income or anything. No, no. Right? And it had mainly been occupied by the family yep. once, you know, she'd left for Singapore and things like and, that. And her kid, you were saying her, her children were Her occupied? children were living there. Okay. So she could very well benefit from the absences rule. Yep, yep, okay. Well, lucky children. <laughs> but the <laughs> thing is that, you know, if you opt for the absence rule, you cannot treat any other property as your main res residence during that period. Any other property, no, of course. No, yeah. that, that's right. And uh, unfortunately for non-residents, you know, if she opts, opted to sell that property, yep. if she opts to sell that property after the 30th of June 2019, Yep she would not be able to claim the main residence exemption. Ah, I see, yeah. So in that case, you know, the uh, CGT tax implications would arise. Would arise, that's right. Yeah. So really, it's it's an uh, impulse, it's, it's, it's a prompt for her to sell the property, basically. It's, um, to my, it, depends, it seems. you know. <laughs> yeah, it depends, yeah. Uh, you it gotta, depends upon her personal circumstances and that's her right. choices. But she went away with that information at least, so she now she yeah, can put she all can them to... Yeah, she can make an informed decision now. Informed decision, that's right. Well, that's what we're all here for. Yeah. Is, uh, I keep calling Majid Magic Majid, but no one seems to be taking that up. But that's <laughs> the, the sort of answers that you come up with are, uh, are pretty good. Um, okay, so CGT main residence and uh, the non-resident uh, has got her answers. Um, and what else came up during the week, uh, Majid, uh, from helpline calls? Another issue, you know, that I wanted to discuss was um, the availability of uh, the CGT small business concessions. Yep where property is used in the business of a wholly owned company. Okay. Yeah. So there was this gentleman who owned property and he himself did not do any business. Right. But, you know, it was his company who wholly owned company which did business and the property was being used by the company in the business. Yep. So he had let out that property okay. to his company. 
To his own company? To his own company, okay, which okay. was using it for, uh, you know, business purposes. Sure. The interesting thing is that you can claim the CGT uh, small business concessions in this case and the number of conditions that need to be satisfied. So the first condition is that a CGT event happens in relation to the CGT asset. Of course. So in this case, the CGT asset is the property. So the property needs to be sold. Yep. For the CGT event to happen. To happen, yeah. Yeah, in that case, CGT event A1 happens. The connected entity should satisfy the small business entity test in the income year in which the CGT event happens. So the company, the wholly owned company. That's a turnover definition, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, basically, you know, it has to carry on business and it has to uh, satisfy the turnover test. Yep. Then the third condition is that, you know, the connected entity, that is the company, must employ the asset for the purpose of its business. Of course. Yeah. And then uh, the taxpayer himself must not carry on business. That's another important condition. It's the company. Okay. It's that entity, not the individual. That is uh, supposed to carry on the business, not the individual. Okay. In In this particular scenario. Yep. And then again, you know, the use of the asset by the connected entity should result in the satisfaction of the active asset test. Test, yep, okay. And uh, this normally is satisfied, you know, if uh, um, the rented property is used by the connected entity for the purpose of its business. Yep. Normally, um, uh, certain CGT assets cannot be active assets. Okay, Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, in this case where the property is rented out and it's being used uh, by uh, you know the connected entity for its business it would be considered an active asset yeah so who was who was applying for the cgt uh, small so business concession the individual the guy the, the individual okay. so l- let me you know give you an example sure so let's suppose there's a taxpayer mary and she owns an asset that she leases to a company she only she wholly owns right so let's say the name of the company is ABC PTY Limited. Right. So ABC uses the asset in carrying on its business. Mary does not carry on business. No. So in this case, Mary will be able to assess the small business CGT concessions if, you know, the conditions discussed above uh, are satisfied. Satisfied, right. That the property is sold, the connected entity satisfies the small business entity test. Yep. That is ABC Again, ABC employs the asset for the purpose of its business. The marry the taxpayer should not carry on business. Herself, yep. Yeah. So, you know, these were a couple of interesting scenarios yeah, that yeah. I wanted to discuss. This yeah, week. of course. They were sort and of at, at, not left field completely, but out of the ordinary uh, situations, it, it seems. Yeah, they're, they're interesting situations that I assume, you know, would come Com- up. Sure, every now and, and then. you know, people would find it useful yeah 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 well they're hence uh, worthy of the podcast of course to share these uh, the scenarios around okay thanks majid it's been very helpful and thank you so much steve thank you um stay tuned listeners we'll be back with the next segment in about two seconds all right welcome back listeners um this is the final segment of uh, the tax wrap podcast episode 162 and i'm joined again by uh david ebden hello Hello, David. Um, now, we, uh, we're going to talk about the um, exemption to substantiate certain travel allowance claims. 
David, that's right, isn't it? We're talking yes. about that? Yeah, yeah, correct. It's an interesting scenario. It's um, there is a the ATO gave a bit of a leeway to taxpayers to to not have to substantiate certain travel claims for travel um, if it is within. Correct me if I'm wrong here, David. If it, if it's in within certain parameters, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that that's correct, Steve. Okay. Um, I think we'll take a step back and work okay. through it in a um, in a logical way. Sure. Um, so, firstly, I guess we should clarify what uh, travel allowance is. Um, a travel allowance is a payment that's made to employees to cover their food, drink, uh, um, accommodation and other expenses yep. which are incurred whilst they're away from home overnight or longer right. in the course of their duties. And this is not the living away from home, which is a p- more of a permanent arrangement. Yep. Yep, that's it's correct. just temporary. You go off to Sydney or Brisbane or wherever. Yep, exactly right. Yeah. Okay. For, a, for a meeting, for a night or two yep um going back to the income tax act 97 um it's defined under subdivision 900b that a deduction is not allowable for a work expense including a meal allowance expense or travel allowance expense unless the expense qualifies as a deduction under a provision of the act and written evidence of the expense has been obtained and retained right as follows as with any form of deduction, uh, an expense must be actually incurred before a claim can be made. Naturally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so a taxpayer can't automatically claim a deduction just because they've received an allowance, oh, for see. example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it follows that if an expense is incurred partly for work purposes and partly for private purposes, only the work-related portion it can is. be deducted. Yep. Um, so there's a substantiation objection that's covered in um, tax rule in 2004-6 um, which clarifies that the objective of a substantiation exception for travel and overtime meal allowance expenses yep. uh, is to relieve taxpayers covered by the exception from the requirement to substantiate claims for deductible expenses by using detailed calculations, records or receipts. Okay. Uh, it goes on to say that if a claim for expenses that is covered by a travel allowance or overtime meal allowance uh, qualifies for exemption from substantiation, it is not necessary to keep written evidence as would otherwise be required. Okay, so <clears throat> you don't need to have that receipt in your shoebox or in your briefcase, yeah. um, but it's it's accepted by the ATO that, yes, if you're travelling away, you're going to have a meal, you're going to have accommodation, um, but... Is this where the uh, the parameters come into play? Am I getting ahead of myself a little bit? Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, Steve. A taxpayer can choose not to use the exception from um, substantiation. Right. Each taxpayer can decide between maintaining fewer records and limiting oh, yeah. a claim to that reasonable amount. Yep. Which, in some circumstances, may be lower than oh, the amount course. actually incurred. Yeah, yeah. Or they can also keep written evidence and claim the full amount of deductible expenses incurred, which may be higher. Right. than the reasonable amount. But then that's allowable, though? If, if you have written evidence and it's an allowable deduction, OK, that's fine. As long as you've got the travel got the, allowance. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, if a taxpayer relies on the exception from substantiation, yep. they may still be required to show the basis for determining the amount of their claim. OK. Yeah, for example, that the expense was actually incurred yeah. and that it was incurred for work-related purposes. Right. Um, what counts as evidence for a claim subject to the... Um, substantiation exception will vary accordingly to individual circumstances and the nature of the expense. Right, okay. Uh, Another 
common uh, allowance is um, overtime meal allowance. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, for overtime meal expenses to be considered under the exception for, from um, substantiation, yep. the overtime meal allowance must be a bona fide overtime meal allowance paid or payable under a law of the Commonwealth or a state or territory. Right, right. Or an award, order, determination or other such agreement in force under such a law. Okay, yeah. And <clears throat> this, the, it's, it's a good thing to have this uh, uh, substantiation exception. Um, is it an ongoing thing or, I mean, have you heard, is there any rumour that the ATO is examining this exemption or is it being, is it possible, is it, can, be, can it be rorted, I suppose is what I'm getting at, by taxpayers? Well, anything can, <laughs> can't, it, can't it, in the, today's day and age. Yeah. Uh, but this is something that the ATO have on their... Um, on their radar? Yeah, their hit list, okay. I think, I think is yeah. watch list. Watch list, what, yeah. what's, what's their official term for it? I, is there an official term? It's one of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, th- this is something they are um, cracking down on this year, really? uh, along with um, rental properties. Oh, yeah. always, that's always that's another good one. And uh, laundry, work-related laundry expenses. Okay. So, again, this is an area that... Uh, we should be paying particular attention to. So, so um, listeners, if they have clients who are making these uh, travel claims, travel allowance claims, should really remind the clients, well, you know, that's fine. Is it within the allowable uh, range? Yep. And or do you have documentation? Appropriate, yeah, to maybe, maybe, your claim. Maybe clients should be reminded that, look, if, if you can get documentation, why not? Mm. Just keep it, just in case. Exactly, it doesn't hurt, does it? Yeah, it yeah. The allowable, uh, what's the term? The allowable expenses, you know, for travel. Yep. These then are updated pretty regularly, I assume, by the ATO. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, they release just shortly after uh, the end of each financial year, so first week of July. Yeah. Uh, they always provide um, reasonable travel and overtime meal allowance. Okay. Uh, expense amounts. Yep. For the um, for the forthcoming year. Right. For example, for the 2017-18 year, uh, you need to look at tax determination 2017-19. Okay. And uh, I have that in front of me now, and it lists um, the food and drink and accommodation limits uh, dependent on salaries. It uh, goes on and talks about breakfast, lunch, and dinner allowances for uh, truck drivers. <laughs> So, Who may have a good appetite. I mean, yes. how do they determine that? Yes. I suppose you've got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, correct. It even goes on to discuss overseas countries. and uh, I suppose they've got to cover everything, all, all travel uh, scenarios. That's just a broad overlook at uh, some of the travel and overtime mid announcements. Yeah, and yeah. just a reminder that this is something that the ATO do have on their radar. Yeah. We should be yeah. aware of uh, making sure we're following the rules. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, well, thanks again, David. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, listeners. I hope you've uh, found the extended Tax Wrap podcast uh, uh, enjoyable, perhaps, or enlightening, or both, hopefully. Uh, Please uh, tune in again in a fortnight's time.